I wish I grew up not having to worry about gang banging and, you know, stuff that was going on in the street. You know, that to me would have been, I, I would have been a lot more creative, I believe, and a lot more open to do different things. You know, I wouldn't be hardened. You know, the hood hardens you a little and you don't never really let that go. One of the greatest MCs of all time is Ice Cube. I loved him in NWA. I loved him when he went solo. And it's been amazing to watch him grow into a Hollywood star, both as an actor and a writer, and now as the father of a star actor. I've known Cube forever, so we get into everything. Music, Hollywood, his emotions, his children, John Singleton's funeral, everything. Yeah, I said his emotions. He gets deep about his feelings. I love that part. Let's dig in. It's Ice Cube on Torre Show. Yeah, a lot of people were talking about some of the players getting sat down. or Yeah. But when you explain why, it makes sense. It's a young league. You can't have millions of dollars sitting on the bench. No. And we can't give millions of dollars to people who's not playing. You know what I mean? It just, as a young lead, that would kill us. You know, we're not the NBA. So, you don't play. I'm sorry. Come sit by me. You know? (laughs) No, hey. You're more than welcome. Did the players take it in the right way or did they not understand? Most of them understood that, that it's a business. And... Of course, they don't like how it looks um, for for them. And, you know, we do the press release, and then what happens after that is not really on us. So, you know, the media is being pretty hard on, on my guy Lamar. Uh, we love Lamar. Uh, uh, Jermaine O'Neal has done a lot for the league uh, on and off the court. Um we love Barron, really wanted him to play. Uh, Baron and, Davis. And, and Bonzi, we're just not sure if he is healthy enough or not. You know, he right. he had a few um, health issues, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, so it's, it's kind of that, you know, it's more or less like, yo, if you guys are ready next year, you in there, no problem. You know what I'm saying? But we have an eight-game season. Like eight games. <laughs> if you haven't played by the third or fourth game, it's like you got to shut it down. From a basketball standpoint, what is the entertainment value of three-on-three three versus five-on-five? Five? Why is three-on-three three more interesting to watch from your perspective? Well, I, I'm not going to say it's more interesting to watch. You know, I just think it's a different style of the game you love. More so, people get open. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you have to have all-around skills to play three-on-three. I think in five-on-five, you can be a specialist. You can just be a shooter. You don't have to really defend because they can help you a lot. But three-on-three, you out on the island by yourself. Everybody's got to Man on man, you got to D up. And the help is really never coming. So you have (laughs) to – Yeah, you can't double team. You can't really double team unless a guy just can't shoot at all. Then you might can (laughs) – can flash and sneak over, but for the most part, you got to lock down a guy and it's you on him and you got to get by him. He got to get by you. So it's, it's, uh, you have to have all around skills. You can't just come out there and be a specialist. You have to know how to dribble, pass, shoot, defend, 
and you have to be in shape because you go from defense to offense extremely fast. You know, with the bounce of a ball, you're on defense. With the bounce of a ball, you're back on offense. <laughs> and when you're on defense, I mean, you shoot the ball, and then you got to find your man. So, you know, you shoot the ball, you miss. Now you got to search and run and chase and find. I mean, so, this is more like the basketball that we all grew up playing. Thank you. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, half court, yep. quick, you know, check yep. ball, you know what I mean? It's what we're familiar with. That's why the game is aesthetically pleasing and it's not like we're watching, you know, a whole new thing. Yeah. It's it's something that we were used to, yeah. but we just haven't seen it elevated to the professional level. The NBA aesthetically has changed massively as we've been watching yes. over the like 10, 20 years. Used to be, you know, you had to have a big guy, yes. you know, work the ball down in him, let him get a layup and, you know, take the shot when you have it. Yes. Now, no big man. Everybody be little, yeah. run up, shoot threes as much as possible, try to get 100 shots in the air. Yeah. It's a totally different game. Totally different game. And, uh, you know, you've seen it kind of happening at the younger ages, you know, the guards taking over. <laughs> and, you know, you get a point, you get a guard out there in the younger ages that can play, and nobody else might not get a shot because he – is gunning and he's gunning. And they want to be like Lamelo Ball and hoisted up from half court and like yeah. So that's that's what's been happening. I've seen it over the years, and it's just kind of made its way into the NBA. Uh, I remember coaching my my uh, son's teams like in in ninety nine and eighty uh, 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 ninety eight, and those. The guards was taking over. I'm like, man, get it down to the bigs. And the bigs wasn't touching the ball nope. until it was a rebound. And yep. I'm like, uh-oh. Big you now is 6'8". Yeah. That's your big guy You're now. big now. And you better be able to run, dribble, and shoot. Yo, your son is a star. Yeah, man. Are you like? Are you adjusted to that? Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool. You know, it's something that I wasn't really looking um, to happen. And it's like, bam, you know. It's, you it's weren't another, pushing him into entertainment? Not at all. You wow. know, I did ask him, did he want to play me in the movie? Would he dedicate himself to to being a good actor? You know, and but I didn't know he was going to run with it or was that just going to be it? Because, I mean, it was a hard movie for him to do. And uh, he, I think he he was put through the ringer more than anybody. What was the hardest part of it for him? Just... Getting up to speed, um, us putting him through the gauntlet of acting coaches and this, that, and the other for him to be able to even get accepted to be in the movie by Universal. Mm. It wasn't my final decision. So somebody, some people quit, man, when you're telling them to do something new and it's hard and it's harder than everybody expected and that he, he he went through it, came out the other side, flying colors, and loves acting now. And people want to put him in movies. He yes. was in Godzilla. Um, he got a movie that's coming out with uh, Michael B. Jordan and, and Jamie Foxx. I mean, when I saw him in the in the trailer for Godzilla, and most of the people in the movie are not black, I'm yeah. like, he's a star. Yeah, without a doubt. And he's he don't die. Right. So, right. <laughs> you know, that was a good, you know, sign that that uh, that he's, you know, 
on his way. Yes. For sure. So uh, can we go back to the music? Of course. I want to talk about the whole career, but you know, I first fell in love with you as a musician mm-hmm. um, from the beginning, from yeah. NWA. You're killing it. Talk about what it takes to be a great MC. Just take me back to, to what that is all about. Um, I think to be a great MC, you got to be very observant of of people and how they move, act, what, you know, what what moves them, you know. Um, then I think you have to be a creative person, um, you know, as far as have a creative sense about you. Um, then I believe you have to be a little fearless, you know, because you definitely fearless because, you know, getting out there, it's like a comedian doing stand up. You got to when I first started, you had to battle, you know, when like oh. somebody was going to put you on a record till you showed you was worthy in a battle. So yeah. we battled a lot. Um, and you got to have the nerves and you got to have the style and the flavor. Of course, and you got to have somewhat uh, a handle on the English language um, to be able to flip words and rhyme words and and be unique. And you you were like one of the ultimate like observer MCs. Like I have seen the worst of the hood, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to tell you the stories. I'm going to tell you, you know, how we moved the stuff from here and then take over St. Louis and the girl we did the stuff to and Mm -hmm. blah blah blah. Yeah, and like you know, we could listen to you and really get that. The peep game, like this is what's going on. Like when Chuck D talked about, you know, Black America, CNN. Yes. You were one of the main MCs who he was really talking about. Yeah, I mean, I bought into that concept wholeheartedly. Um, when you first doing records, you just want to do something that everybody like. You know, it's like, it's no, like, uh, you know, I guess, I ain't going to say rhyme or reason because you, you, you are trying to figure it out. Like, where's... Where do I fit into this game or what kind of music am I going to do that people are going to gonna like and, and get moved by? And so when you find that, you hone in and start to say, okay, this is my style. This is my flavor. This is what I do best. And hearing that concept from Chuck D, like, we're not just rapping. we reporting right. what's going on. Then... That made me think like that the music was powerful on a whole nother level that I can actually use it as a source of power and not just as, you know, me trying to figure out what people are going to like, you know, coming up with like metaphors, you know, just (laughs) just being direct. No, you were direct. I mean, like, fuck the police. Mm -hmm. Remains an iconic record. Yeah. And it was ahead of its time coming before the LA riots, before, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement that we have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did that record come from? I know y'all were getting thrown up against, you know, the, the cars and the cement from age 10. Yeah. Was there a specific experience that you were thinking about? Just our, the feelings we were having going back and forth. We will record the record in Torrance. Torrance, California had, to, had a nice studio called Audio Achievements. And so, you know, being from Compton, South Central L.A., going into Torrance, you know, is pretty much white neighborhood. So back then, I mean, still now, they don't want you 
coming through Torrance, really, if you don't <laughs> live there. So we would get harassed a lot going back and forth to the studio because we going in late. You know what I mean? We walking out of there late sometime. and, and So you get pulled over on the way in or out. Man, you walk out the studio and you see, you know, dudes on the hood laid out. And it's like, man, that's our bass player. Man, leave him alone. You know what I mean? That dude is working with us. And so we would have to go out and save people. Like we saw in Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, Coffee. and people would come out and have to save you. You know, you walk to the store and police swoop up on you. Hemmed you up, up you. Hemmed us up. So... It just became like super annoying to the point where we was like, man, fuck these dudes. You know what I mean? Fuck these dudes. Like we don't have no, no recourse or no way to protect ourselves. All we got is music and lyrics because nobody wants to hear us. Nobody's going to come to our defense and we can't just pull out the jammy and start popping no. dudes out. No. No. So it's like nobody want to spend the rest of their life in prison. So we just like, yo, we we'll we'll do it through the music. So much so often in music, the writer builds to a chorus. Mm-hmm. But in that record, you start with fuck the police coming yeah. straight from the underground. So the the thesis is right away in your face, punching you in the face right yeah. away. That's part of the power of that record. Without a doubt, you know, it's um it's a lot of pain in that record, you yeah. know, and it's a lot of frustration and it's a lot of like Man, take the badge off. Take the gun off. You really want to get down? Let's get down man to man. You know, it's some of that in there. Uh, and, and it's not just white cops. It's black cops, too. Man, please. You know, they, you know, sometimes they treat you worse than the white cops because they're trying to show you a lesson, mm-hmm. like trying to teach you a lesson. Like, you shouldn't be out here as a black man doing this. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't be out here doing this to me <laughs> as a black man. <laughs> so it just became a thing where, you know, sometimes, you know, your own kind of treats you worse than the other kind. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. 
Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to me about what you tried to do when you went in the booth. Not that particular record, but just in general. Because just the oh. way you used your voice was really powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, the era that we come out of, you know, MCs were big. You know, it's like Run and Beastie Boys and... And then, you know, Rakim came in and, and kind of, you know, had the total opposite flavor of that. But the MCs that I kind of uh, fell in love with were the ferocious MCs, you know, the LLs, the, um, like I said, uh, Run DMC, you know, just Chuck D, just the boisterous, in your face. Um, booming, yeah, down big, in you the know, I mean, chest. you know, uh, hardcore rhyming, and so that's that was my style. So that's the way I wanted to rap. I didn't want to be smooth and 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 kind of like laid back, like Rakim, EPMD, Slick Rick. You know, I wanted to be a ferocious MC. So that's kind of where I come from. You know, so the music, um, usually gets me there. You know, if I'm writing a rhyme to a beat, I must love the beat. So I'm into it. I'm happy. I'm ready to go. And then working with somebody like Dr. Dre at the time, you felt like that you were in safe hands that he's not going to let you be whack. He, You can't be whack and be on the record. That's just <laughs> period. So you already knew that. So you knew you had to think of your freshest ideas before you start rapping, or he he might veto half your rap. It's like I like the first half, but that second half is and then we have to go, go in the corner and write and re-record or uh, come back and say, I, you know, me, I would like to leave and come back. I'd be like, I'll be back tomorrow, and I'd write, you know, just try to go write fire. You ever be like, yo, nah, I like that verse, yeah. It was fighting. It was arguing, you know, especially at the time because, you know, he wasn't Dr. Dre. Right. He was Andre. Dre. Come on, man. Coming up. So I, yeah. So we would argue over stuff and, you know, the best man would win and, and Easy had a lot of arguments with what we should do. You know, Easy is the architect of the style in a lot of ways because he let us do it. We was with uh, Lonzo at first, which you see him in the movies, the guy who's, like, keeping the cap on us. Like, nobody want to hear about, right. you know, people going to jail. You know what I mean? Nobody want to hear about, you know, hood stuff. They want to get away from that. So he, he, he come from the hard shoes and slacks era. 
you know? <laughs> and we was tennis shoes and khakis. And so um, it was a cultural separation there. But with Easy, you know, straight out the same things that we were doing, he was doing, the way he dressed, we dressed. And he had the money to say, yo, if if we blow the money, so what? We'll get more. Because this is the style of hip-hop we like. Let's right. do what we like instead of doing what we think we should be doing to get on the radio and all that stuff. So it just changed our philosophy. on Let's just do what we feel. And if we just hood stars, I mean, if we just get a little extra around here, a little extra love from our folks around here, we living like kings around here. Are you crazy? Right. So that was... Our goal, just to be hood stars. Because we never figured we would be pros like Karis One and, you know, Salt and Pepper and Heavy D and the Boy. We never thought we was going to be that. We thought that's pro rap. What we doing is hardcore underground okay. rap that is only going to be understood by people in our neighborhood. And then you punched America in the and face. And then it just blew up. And I'm I'm still on that same wave from putting it out and saying, oh, damn, everybody liked this. And and then now we rolling. Was it Detroit where y'all got arrested for doing Fuck the Police? Yeah, Detroit. We got ran off stage a few places. We got ran off stage in Cincinnati. But did y'all get beat up by the police that We didn't night? get beat up by the police. Okay. We got a little roughed up, but okay. I wouldn't say beat up. Rounded up. But not beat up. They was actually fans. <laughs> what? Yeah. They were they fans. Got us they back. arrested yeah, you? Yeah, man. They got, us, they got us back there and was like, so I'm saying, man, y'all y'all just messed it up. Man, there's 20,000 people out there, and y'all just messed up their night. They was like, no, we didn't. We messed up your night. <laughs> they still back there partying. <laughs> uh, and they, he's like. You know y'all can't come to Detroit and sing fuck the police, man. You just, you know what we was going to do. I'm like, man, we don't know what y'all going to do. He said, okay, now we can take y'all down and we can, you know, y'all got attitude. I see y'all got y'all lips poked out. We can take y'all down. Or y'all can just sign this for my daughter. You can sign this for my cousin. <laughs> take the picture with me. We let y'all go. So you didn't, you didn't go to. We didn't go to jail. Really? We signed autographs and took pictures. That's what's up. Yeah. When when it when it came to you, was it the manager who said, "If you do the record, the police are going to arrest yeah, you"? Jerry Heller. So so, what is the discussion from that point? It was actually before we went on tour. Okay. Because this was this was like our, um, I guess the only deal breaker for us to go on tour was that if we sung "Fuck the Police," we couldn't go on tour. The promoters would not, the insurers would not insure us. Promoters would not promote us. So we had to promise we would not do that song. Whoa. You so, told them you're not going to do we told one we, of your biggest records? That yeah. was your biggest record at the time. At the time, it wasn't. Actually, it was just one of the records on the record. Okay. Because okay. it was so new. And we were so hungry to be on tour. We had been locals for years. You know, you get sick of touring. 
Harthon, Compton, Watts, Long Beach, Pasadena, promote. You get tired of <laughs> your general area. You like, man, national. I want hell yeah. Well, like they wants to do a show in Nashville. They wants to do a show in Indiana. They wants to do a show in New York. It's like, how could you turn that down if you were M- young MC sure. thinking you was always gonna be a local? So we was like, yeah, we ain't got to do that song. We got way more hits than that. But every place we would go. The police would show up backstage with like city ordinances of profanity and obscenity. And they was just running it down to us. And we was like, man, why y'all, we ain't did the song. We ain't had no problems. Why y'all keep coming at us like this? It was like, well, Bobby Brown came through here. Uh, the Beastie Boys came through here and they really, really violated a lot of this. So. We're going to make sure y'all don't do it. And if y'all do, y'all getting arrested. It was like, so after show after show after show of getting that, we was fed up. It was like, man, we're going to do our show. We're doing everything because we're tired of these people. And, um, you know, that, that, that was the results. You know, we got, we had to fly to Cincinnati and meet with the mayor and all that kind of stuff, me and Ren about our music and why we should be able to be allowed in the city. It just was craziness. But we were so young, we was having a ball with it. We didn't care. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. So <clears throat> NWA goes on from that moment to become one of the greatest rap groups of all time, one of the biggest rap groups of all time. Mm-hmm. And then y'all break up. Yeah. Or at least you left. Yeah. And that led to... Perhaps the greatest disc record of hip hop history. Yeah. No Vaseline. Yeah. Which is an incredible record. Did you write that with like a fury of like, yes. oh, I'm going to kill you? I was so mad. I was so mad, man. I had done America's Most Wanted. And if you listen to the whole record, I don't diss or mention the NWA at all. Right. So I figured the same thing would happen when they did their record because. It was all friends, but the money wasn't right. I had to go. But I heard a record they did called 100 Miles and Running. And so they was dissing. So I said, oh, damn, it's like that. So I said, okay, I'm going to give them a little taste. So I did a song called Jackin' for Beats. That and uh, and I got had a little line at the end. If I jack you and you keep coming, I have your marks 100 Miles and Running. Oh. Right? I was like, okay, jab, jab. It's over. Subliminal. A little jab. I mean, they throw a jab, you know, I throw a jab. You right, know, I, didn't, but I didn't know your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Niggas for Life album come out, and then they got a whole section dissing, calling me Benedict Arnold and right. all this kind of stuff. So I didn't even know that until the guy who ran Priority Records, he was like, man, I want to take you out on my boat. I'm like, boat? I'm on your boat. Like, come on, come with me, man. Come with me. Come go fishing with me. Go fishing with me. I'm like, ah. Uh, he just bugged me, bugged me, bugged me. I'm sorry, man. I'll meet you out there 
tomorrow, man, I'll meet you out there. So I drove out there. It's just me and him and, you know, the people that work on the boat. So I'm like, okay, what is this dude going to tell me or want to tell me? Or just something. And uh, he's like, man, I want to play you something. And I'm like, okay, all right. He says, NWA new record. And I wanted you to hear from us first because I don't want you to be like, we in on this or, you know, we got something to do with this. This is what they delivered. So he played it. So as soon as he play, plays the song, I'm immediately pissed off. I'm like, Which I'm ready song? to get the hell off the boat. It's one of the songs where they dissing me. I forget. <laughs> I ain't listening to Niggas for Life too many times, so I don't know the song. I think it's Appetite for Destruction or one of them where they diss. So I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get off the boat. I'm ready to swim back. You know what I mean? Because I'm ready to write this rhyme. I'm just. It's coming out already. It's just coming out my pores. So I get home and I write No Vaseline in 90 minutes. Wow. 90 minutes. I didn't have a beat. I just had the rhymes. I had the lyrics. And I just was like, I can't wait to record it. I just need to figure out the beat. Because I want to. You know, I wanted to use something that I thought would just make it a hit from day one, no matter what. Right. And then I'm like, I used to love to beat Daz, that Daz band. And then Dana Dane used it for Cinderella. Uh-huh. Cinderella had been like 10 years old or at uh-huh. least seven, eight years old. I'm like, I can reuse this. Uh-huh. So when I found that beat, I'm like, it's over. It's over because the beat is a hit before I even start rapping. The beat's crazy. Yeah, so just was uh, perfect timing, and I, you know, it's just I was Never a powder keg. Dinner with the president, and it's a trip because I don't tell nobody to rhyme. I'm like, I'm just going to record this once I get the beat looped up. So they looped the beat up, and. We was about to leave, and I was like, I want to drop some more lyrics real quick. And he was like, all right. I said, I want that dad's beat. Put it on. <laughs> they put it on, and I start rapping the lyrics. And when I finished the song, it was just silence in the, in, in, in the studio with everybody. Like, they, the mouth fuck? was what? like hanging like. And then Jinx was like, you putting that out? I said, yep, yeah, we putting this out. This is going on now. I'm last song. He was like, okay, let me let me work on the intro for you. But God damn, man. He said, that's that right there. He said, man, get sharpen up your knuckles, cause y'all gonna be fighting <laughs> when y'all see each other. <laughs> y'all gonna be fighting when y'all see each other, man. Be was ready. It a, was it a fight next time you saw Oh him? hell yeah, we was rumbling. <laughs> we rumbled at the new music seminar out here. Was rumbling. Every time we had to Call the truce, you know, we had to, yeah, it was like me and Easy had to get on the phone and be like, man, we doing music. We got out the streets. To, uh, but it was good for business. It was good for business, yes. Uh, you know, but it made our fans have to pick sides, which was bad. You know, it's good, but it's bad, too, because it wasn't hard for me. Ah, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was a Public Enemy fan. I was an NWA fan. Mm. But for you to come east and work with the Bomb Squad, it was over on America's next one, and then Death Certificate. I'm like, yeah. yo, that's that's my dude. Yeah, it was Fuck over him. Yeah, you know, uh, I always wanted to mix, you know, the 
the I wanted it to be street knowledge. You know what I mean? Yes. I wanted it to be talking about the streets, but but injecting worldly knowledge into that. You know, so the streets can kind of know. You know, sometimes when you're out there doing it, you don't really know what you up. You don't know the forces that that are playing. Yeah, playing you like a puppet. So I always wanted to expose those forces. And everybody seemed at that time to have a very local perspective. This is what's going on in Newark or the Bronx or whatever. Yeah. And you had a more national perspective of, you know, the drugs is moving from here to here. Yeah. They're coming from there. You know, the president, Farrakhan, whatever. Like you had a, a, a much larger perspective on the world. Yeah. You know, it's all from uh, being around public enemy, being around Chuck and... They helped raise you up a little bit? Yeah, that vibe. You know, they would, you know, give us, you know, VHS tapes to look at, you know, that was just teaching our history to us, just different than we got in school. And it was opening us up on, you know, what's our real mission, you know. And and it had me open. I know, um, I mean, Chuck D's my favorite MC of all times because of content and consciousness um, and rap style and, you know. There's a lot of similarities between y'all from where you rap, sort of mm-hmm. the, you know, deep in the chest, yeah. sort of the speed of with which you rap, the intelligence you're trying to bring down to the folks. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot that you were, you guys are. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a good mentor. I mean, I mean, he's my mentor. You know what I'm saying? He's a guy that I look up to. He's a guy that I believe when you do hip hop, it should have a purpose, you know, most of the time. I mean, some of it should be fun, but most of the time it should have some kind of purpose. It should move you in some kind of way. Yeah. Um, And it's not always good. Sometimes it's like, you know, I'm reminding you of, you know, the worst parts of yourself. So, you know, but... To me, those the artists that last is the ones that trying to that can do good music but in, inject good intelligence into it. Yeah. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is mostly secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown 
I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So when you talk about bringing out the worst part of yourself and representing kind of the, the bad guy, the tough guy, mm-hmm. right? So when you came out with It Was a Good Day, yeah. that shocked a lot of people, that yeah. opened a lot of people up, changed your career mm-hmm. a lot, Yeah, right? Like talk about where you began that record and... 99% of MCs had done that record, it would have just, you know, like if Will Smith does that record, if, you know, a re- an MC we're used to see Smile does that record, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But to have, you know, Mr. Fuck the Police uh-huh. say, I had a good day. Yeah. You know, I killed it on the basketball court and all, everything yeah. worked out for me. Like, that's like, wow. Yeah. You know, I thought, like, we always champion reality rap, you know, before it was called gangster rap. It was called reality rap. And we was champions of that, you know, uh, talk about what's going on. Talk about what you see. Talk about the hood. Talk about this. I'm like, that ain't reality just talking about everything bad that happened and not acknowledging that there's some good, that there's some fun. Some days are cool with no issues that you have the most fun in the hood. And I'm like, ain't that reality too? Uh, and I mean, I had arguments with some of my guys about this record. It was like, this so, don't sound like an Ice Cube record. It didn't. And I'm like, why not? I, I rap about reality. So if I'm having a good day, that's my reality. It's not just pointing out all the negatives it, in the world. It didn't sound like an Ice Cube record, which is what made it so powerful. Yeah, I think so. I think it was... A record that, uh, you know, anytime, you know, you go back to, to, to rappers like, you know, the Slick Ricks of the world, Dana Danes of the world, uh, people who are able to tell a story and have you follow it and it all comes together and makes sense, but it's a story rhyme. To me, this is hip hop at its finest. It gets no better. It's the apex of, of a rapper being able to tell a story in rap form and still rock a song. You know, so doing that, you always have a great foot in the door to do something special. And you add the Ashley Brother music to it. It's a hit before you even start. So, <laughs> so you, it's the ingredients that went into the song that makes it, you know, kind of a perfectly framed hip hop song. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's still, I still, I did a show last night with, uh, Snoop and the dog pound and Warren G in, uh, in, in Mount Pleasant, uh, Michigan. And I still had to end my show with it was a good day. Because if I don't, it's going to be hell to pay. If I don't do that song, and it'll be your, a riot. But that's your closing song. That's my closing song to this day. And I did it in 92. And I've closed almost every single show since then with that song. And it's still wow. it's my biggest, craziest song. I mean, I see, I see the arc of your career. You start, you know, like young, tough, angry. And then over time, you become 
more family friendly, more, you know, let's say relatable, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you did that within music, going from Fuck the Police to It Was a Good Day. You do that in Hollywood, right? I mean, yeah. with Friday, you're, you're, you know, yeah. that, that could have started with Boys in the Hood yeah. and Trespass and yeah. the hardcore stuff. And then you become, yeah. you know, Mr. Family Guy. Mm -hmm. Is that a conscious thing of like, yo, if I want to keep going, I'm getting older, but, you know, I got to shift up? Or is that just like a natural growth? I, I always looked at it as natural growth. You know, I didn't want to be typecast. I didn't want to be the guy who was always, you know, we need a gangster call Ice Cube. We need somebody hardcore call Ice Cube. I wanted to be a, a real actor that, you know, you never know what I'm going to do. And, and so I had to shake that because that's the way it was going. You know, I had, I had got boys in the hood. I was offered Minister Society to play Old Dog. Wow. You know, in Trespass, I play Savon, which is a crazy dude with Ice-T, you know, in that, in that kind of heist movie. So I just saw a pattern happening that I wanted to break. And, um, and you know, we laugh a lot. You know, some of my closest friends are extremely funny. You're like, that dude right there is funny. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? So I've always hung with guys that make me laugh. I've always been able to make people laugh that was with me. And so comedy has been a big part of my life growing up. Um, and so when it was time to do one, I'm like, I know it's funny. I know what makes people laugh. I know I think we can write something about the neighborhood and kill it. Um, and so Good Day, the song, was a good template to write Friday the movie because it's right. it's basically the good day in movie form, right. in a way, yeah. you know. And so it was that kind of feeling like, yo, we can we can open this up. So we got an R-rated comedy. Then we say, you know what? If we can get away with an R-rated comedy, I wonder can we do it with a PG-13 comedy? Mm -hmm. So that's where Barbershop come in. You see what I'm saying? And then you say, well, how far can I push it? Can I push it to PG and still make it work and get kids? Wow. So that's where Are We There Yet comes. Right. So that is the arc of going into that direction is just to make sure that we are pulling in all the fans from all directions. And part of it is pulling in yourself, right? Because now I have children. Yes. Right? So I, not me, but someone just like, I want to make a movie for him that he can go to with his kids. With his kids. Because I don't want him looking at his son saying, you know who that is? Oh, man, he's, that's Ice Cube, the rapper. I want the son saying, oh, the Ice Cube. Dad, I want to go see Ice Cube movie. I want him to already know who I am without... But the dad's going to have dad. that, you know, that moment like, I love Ice Cube in that movie. He's like, son. Son, let me I, play I, your record. Yeah, when like, you get a little older, <laughs> when you get older. I'm going to play you some records. <laughs> You're going to know who this man Ice is. Cube so that's really fine. Is. That's fine. But I, I didn't want I didn't want fathers to have to teach their kids who I am. I wanted the kids to teach the father. Right. And, and like, did you see this thing Cube did? So it's just the attempts to grab the newer generation as you see your generation growing up and having kids and having a family. Let's go back to the beginning of your movie career, Boys in the Hood. Yeah. First movie, yeah. gigantic movie, gigantic role. You mm -hmm. crushed it. The movie crushed it. 
Um, and we just lost John Singleton just a yeah. minute ago. Yeah. Um, some of your reflections on on John and making that movie with him. Man, John, he is, you know, like a Pied Piper in a way. Um, just look at all the people he touched that wasn't movie stars that he made in the movie stars. Mm-hmm. He turned me into a movie star. Mm-hmm. Tupac. Me along was in that. Yep. Uh, he turned uh, Tyrese Gibson into a movie star. You know, we he put Busta Rhymes in a movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. we are not supposed to be in Hollywood at this level. You know, we're supposed to be popping in, doing cameos. What was so great about him when you were on set with him? He was young. He was my age, but he had total command and control of the set. He was in charge. He was running the show. It was his show. And he would tell older people who were in the business longer than he was that they didn't know what they were talking about. This is how you do it. So he, his best attribute was his obsession to bring the true black experience to the big screen. Not a caricature, but the real, what really goes on with us. He was dedicated to putting that on the screen um, in the right way, in the right manner. You know, uh, it was important to him. It was important to him to have, you know, male leads who were, you know, chocolate brothers that yeah. showed sex appeal and 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 the beauty of love and romance and 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 how complicated our relationships are and you know to put the stuff in with Doughboy and Ricky where you got a mom who's very supportive of one son and very dismissive <laughs> of the other and then you start to say oh I, I see why kids some of them crazy and they all come out the same house. Some of them cool. Some of them crazy. Right. It's those little dynamics that some people are afraid to put on the screen about us because it reveals so much. But John was never afraid of that. He was always pushing for more of that. The real. What was the hardest part of that movie for you? Um, just keeping my balance. Um. When you when you're first doing a movie and you've never done a movie before, you don't know that you have to not only memorize your lines but memorize your actions. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You put a cup down here, and once you put that cup down every time on that same, same line, way. you take a sip here, and once you take a sip every time on that same line. So the more you're doing, the more you got to remember with the lines, but so, also make it seem like the first time. Make it seem like the first time. Also, hit your marks without looking down. You know, it's like just getting my balance was the hardest part of making the movie. But I felt like I was in good hands. Um, funny story that they had me go to an acting coach like two times. And it was supposed to be every day while I was shooting the movie. I went two times. And I was about to go the third day. And. You know, I had that look on my face because I had just worked 12 hours. I'm like, man, I don't understand. 
I'm shooting a movie. Why I got to go learn how to act after we do the whole right. day? I should be learning this shit before we shoot. So Lawrence Fishburne saw me. He's like, Q, where you about to go? I'm going to acting class. I said, acting class? He said, man, do you know who Doughboy is? I said, yeah. He said, you know what Doughboy is about? I said, yeah, I know what Doughboy is about. Okay. Stand and deliver. Be Doughboy and be what he's about. So I never went to another class after that. <laughs> I'm like, this is the best advice I done got is to not go be molded into an actor, to not go and be molded into an actor, but be my own actor, mm. have my own flavor. You know, like a James Cagney or a, you know, I guess, uh, what's his name? Bogart, Humphrey Bogart. You just (laughs) have your own flavor. Don't go and become somebody's student. And, and that might not work for everybody. I know it's been times where, you know, I wish I had a little more training. You know what I mean? In moments. But for the most part, it's worked out for me. Uh, and I've, 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 I'm, I like what I do because it doesn't seem all contrived. No, no. Yeah. Talk to me about writing a movie. How do you write a great movie? Um, understand what a great movie is and what, 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 what makes a great movie, what makes a bad movie. I think you got to know, know that. I think, you know, in a simple way, if I was teaching anybody how to write, it would be, Write an outline, just simple. What is the movie about? And if you're really detailed, you will go like, this happens first. Then this happens. Then this happens. All the way till you get through the whole movie. And it might take you a while to figure out what happens next. But when you do that, once you start writing, you always know where you are, and you always know where you're going. Where you're going. You want to know the ending before you really start. I think so. Yeah. You want to see that movie in an outline, just sentences. You know, such and such does this. Craig wakes up in the morning. Craig answers the door. Jehovah's Witnesses at the door. Craig, you know, it's like all the way till you got a movie. I mean, part of the thing is that. The the sentences you're talking about or the scenes you're referencing, they have to be uh, causal, right? Yeah. One has to inspire and lead to the next. Yes. They can't be just this happened, then this happened, which yeah. is the way life seems to happen. I did yeah. this, and then I did this. They didn't. But in a movie, it has to be building toward. That's hard for. Yeah. Life. You have to. You know, when you're telling somebody a story, you want to pull them in, keep them. Take them to a crescendo and say, ah, look what happened. And then they say, damn, that's why you told me that story. So in a movie, it's the same way. You can't just be like telling somebody a certain way. Oh, but this is cool. Let's just do this real quick. (laughs) And then we'll come back to that. It don't work like that. If that's cool, but it don't fit the storyline or it doesn't move the story along, you can't put it in the movie because it's just a waste of time. Dialogue is hard. How do you get yeah. that right? Um, I like it. I mean, I like dialogue. And I never, 
overwrite it. Always leave room for the actors to ad-lib a little bit and fill it in with natural words or tones or things that, that are not there. Because I don't want to be so on the page that an actor feels like if I go off the page for a, for a line or two, I'm just making this scene a hundred times longer instead of I'm saying what I need to say and I can get into little ad libs and I can get back to what I need to say. I just think that's just the best way to make a movie. So talking about acting, you've done a lot of movies. You've done some great movies. You've worked with some major people, George Clooney and all these sort of folks. So what have you learned about being a great actor at this stage? Um, to erase the self-doubt. Um, you know, actors are always looking for confirmation. You know, you do a scene, you know, you want to hear the director, you know, or somebody. John was good at it. When you get something right, he'd be like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So as an actor, you like, you know, you hit it. So when you do it again and you don't hear that, you know, give me one more. I got you. Because that's what you're looking to hear. You want to hear the applause. You want to hear that you giving the dude what he's looking for because you don't know what the hell's in his head. You just know what's in your head. So those type of things, if you don't hear him, you'd be like, well, damn, did I do it right? Did he like it? You start to ask me, who, what was his name? Did he like it? If, if, a, if a director can't communicate, right. So I've learned to be like, it's your movie, but this is my you may know what everybody's supposed to be doing, but you don't know what my character is supposed to be doing better than me. And if you do, I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't done my job. Because I should know my character better than a person who has to know all the characters. Do you write out a backstory for your character? Yep. I give him a backstory. I give him a reason, a purpose, a uh, uh, Hopefully a situation, hopefully something they're dealing with that, that's not in the movie, that's just normal life. Um, you know, sometimes I use it, sometimes I, I don't. But it's always good to to give your character more than just a name and a line, but a yeah. life. You got to give him a life. That way you can be him. The the, the thing you said about you see, like living with the doubt, accepting the doubt right? Being okay with doubt. I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot recently, just in my life of like, yeah. you know, you have fear, you have doubt. Can you just accept it as a constant of just being alive and not trying to eliminate it, which is nearly impossible? Yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta let every emotion run through your body without trying to stifle it, stop it, cut it off, get rid of it. You know, everybody want to be happy. But if you walk around with a smile on your face 24-7, people would think you was crazy. Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, so right. nobody can sustain happy. You get glimpses of it. You get moments of it. You know? And you get moments of sadness. You get moments of doubt, moments of fear, moments of frustration, moments of anxiety. You can't be so like, I'm bored. My life sucks. 
You know what I mean? It's like, no, you bored because you ain't got nothing to do right now. I mean, as, you know what as, I mean? As, so that's the thing. You got to let them emotions run through you and be fine with it, even when it's sad, even when it's doubt, even when it's frustration. You got to know these emotions are healthy for me in increments. I can't let them dwell and last, but sure. in increments, it keeps me balanced. You know, if I'm having a good time all the time, something happens, it's going to crush me. But if I'm dealing with situations here, I'm happy here, shit go wrong there, I got to deal with that, nothing is crushing me. So I'm saying everything is being dealt with. And you just can't be frustrated with, I'm not happy today. Or I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling funny today. And you think, like, my life ain't cool because it is. Or I got to change something in my life. It's just a passing phase. It's profound that you said that because as American men, we are taught to not be aware of our emotions. Definitely can't express anything beyond anger. Right. Like just yeah. just the emotions are for women. Mm -hmm. We are emotionless, which yeah, is right. ridiculous. But I mean, the stuff that you're talking about is sort of amazing. And most most men don't think about that at all. Yeah. I mean, and it took me years to figure that out, that every emotion that goes through you is a passing phase and your body should experience all these emotions for you to know how to I mean, think about handling we, without we, melting down. Which for at least for our generation, if you fell, your dad would be like, shake yourself off. You're fine. Yeah. Not like, are you hurt? Let's mm. deal with the pain, you know, accept yeah. it and then move forward. It's like, you're fine. Tough it out. Yeah. Like that's not life. Yeah. And as you were hurt sitting there and you knew you wasn't fine, you knew your father was crazy at the time. You know, like, <laughs> if you felt the shit I just felt, you wouldn't be saying this. It's easy for you to say. But you crazy. I'm hurt. So now when our kids get hurt, we say, hey, man, you all right? Damn, what happened? You know, we Just deal with it. Deal do, with do it. Do you tell your kids it's okay to, your boys, you tell your boys it's okay to cry? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Let it out, man. Why not? Why not? You know, holding it in. You're going to blow up somewhere else. You know, you're going to, it's going to come out somewhere else that at least when you're crying, you have control of it. Right now, it's coming down. You know, but if you holding all this stuff in and a situation happened and you're so frustrated because all these emotions are bottled up, it just pops like a champagne bottle. It's yeah. And now it's wow. You, you, sometimes you out of control now. Yeah. You just, you yeah. Know, you black out, yeah. out of control. And that's never good. Can you, can you talk about John's, John Singleton's funeral? And did, did you speak? Did you tell a story? I didn't speak at the funeral. Um, I was actually going to speak at the, uh, memorial that they had, uh, but I couldn't make it. I, I ended up being stuck and I couldn't get a flight. Um, it was just a, a situation where people came up and told stories about John. Um, what would you have told? I would have told the time when he, you know, I've told this story a, a, a few times, but the first time I met him and when he told me and he walked up to me, he was an intern at the Arsenio Hall show. I was, I was at the show. 
I was gonna cuss out Arsenio Hall. <laughs> Why? For, for not for not having NWA on on the show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he had just had Luke on the show. Uh-huh. Two live crew. Uh-huh. I'm like, you gonna have the two live crew singing me so horny and we can't get up there and sing We Want Easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So but I never seen Arsenio. He never came out. He was still in the dressing room. But I seen this little intern come up with glasses on. You ice cube, huh? Now this is before I was big. I was still in in the group. Easy E was the biggest guy. So I was kind of impressed that he even knew who I was. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm cute. What's up? So man, I want to put you in a movie. I'm like, what? How old are you, man? I'm a sophomore at USC. So, okay. <laughs> put me in the movie, huh? Let's do it. So I don't even act. Right. Don't matter. You you perfect for it. all right, man. So I didn't see him again. You know, he was running around doing his job. Year later, I'm uh I'm going to see Minister Farrakhan at the Bonaventure Hotel. He's speaking. Walking through there, see his kid come up. Hey, 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 Q, remember me? I'm like, no, who who are you? John Singleton. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still putting you in that movie, man. I'm still putting you in that movie. So, all right, man. All right. So, I'm a junior now. I said, okay. <laughs> okay. You're a junior now. He came up. Yeah, yeah. So, don't see him for another year or so. I'm at a public enemy concert. This I go solo now with right. public enemy. They have a show in Hollywood at the Palace. And I'm there, so I'm like, I'm going to go. I go. I'm out there. I'm hanging. Show is over. I'm in the parking lot going to my car. Cube, cube. Look back. Sean Singleton running up. Hey, man, you was at the show. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was at the show. He said, man, I said, I'm a senior now. <laughs> he said, I'm going to put you in this movie. I'm like, homie. He said, let me just tell you about it. I said, okay. And then I was listening to, I was doing my American Most Wanted, so I had some demos, so I wanted to run and buy some people. I'm like, all right, you tell me your movie. I'm going to play my demos for you. So, he, you know, we're vibing off each other. He leaves. I mean, everybody leaves. Like, the parking lot clears. Nobody's there but me and him now. His ride leaves him. And he's, like, looking around. He's like, oh, man, my ride left me. So I'm like, oh, shit, here it comes. So I'm like, all right, man, <laughs> see you later. He's like... <laughs> Q, can you give me a ride to my dorm? I'm like, oh, shit. I said, dude, you like a stranger. I don't even know you, man. <laughs> Let me take you to your dorm. So I drove him to his dorm and didn't see him after that. All right. I was like, you know, another few months go by. My manager come and say, somebody want to put you in a movie. I'm like, who? I forget, you know, movie ain't on my mind. And, um. I don't know. Here's the script. Here's the sides. Take the script. I throw it in my back seat. Take the sides, fold it, and put it in my pocket. And it's like Tuesday, and I got an audition on Friday. I don't look at nothing till I'm in the parking lot on Friday. About to, about go to do the audition, so I pull out the paper. I'm looking real quick. I'm like, oh, okay. All right, got it, got it, got it, got it. Go up there. Walk in, I'm thinking I'm going to see some white guy, you know, gray uh. in the bullhorn kind of dude. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it's John Singleton saying, I told you, he in a production office. He got casting over here. He got props over there. I'm like, 
damn, you doing it? He's like, yeah, I graduated, baby. I'm doing it now. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go. So he's like, come on and do the audition. He had his people in there. So I'm doing the audition, but I pull out the paper, I'm reading it. I'm, I'm, I'm just whack. I don't know the lines. I don't know the motivation. I'm just, I'm terrible. And he's, he's like, he sends everybody out the room. He's like, cute. That, that sucked. He's like, <laughs> he said, man, did you read my script, man? I said, nope. He said, look, I'm going to give you one more shot. Go home, read my whole script. Come back tomorrow. Give you a shot, man. But if you, if you ain't good, I'm going to have to cast somebody else in the movie. So I went home, read the script, and I jumped up. I'm like, Kim, this is a movie about how we grew up. They making a movie about this, you know? Damn, this is this is movie worthy. She's like, yeah, yeah, you know, interesting stuff happened to us growing up. So I went back and then I went and did the audition, killed it, killed it. And he was like, you got it, you got it. He was happy. I remember him just like smiling from ear to ear, kind of like shaking, like this is the one part, you know, that I wanted you to have, and I got that cover. You and can you do it. You got it. That was it. And you got it. Got That's it. what's up. Can you still be a Raiders fan when yes. they're in Vegas? Yes. They're in another state. Listen, man, I'm the president of the Raider Nation, okay? <laughs> cannot be impeached, cannot be voted out. I know it's- so it I got to go everywhere. It is a national moment. franchise. It is like, it like is, the Cowboys, like the Patriots. It's it is not a national Raider franchise. Nation. It's Raider Universe. Right. So this is Raider Universe. I'm, I'm the president of it. You suffering? Uh, you know, there's it's, ups and downs. It's rough times. The in, Dow Jones in. is low. We're going to point that up. You know, we got a little new hope. Yeah. Yeah, a little new hope. Vegas, new stadium. Hopefully, get some new attitudes. Do you have hope for your Lakers? Yeah. Are you crazy? We got LeBron and AD. I know, but you didn't get the other superstars that okay. you might have hoped. You could have had the could super have. team. You could have been the the dominating, but... That makes me nervous because whenever the Lakers get more than one star, it just don't work out. We got Carl Malone. But Gary he was, Payton. But he but they were Carl Malone, Gary Payton. That didn't work out. But they were they We got were, Dwight Howard, Steve Nash. Yeah, see. That yeah, didn't work out. Yeah, the Dwight So uh, I'll take him one at a time. I'm fine. LeBron came by himself. A D is now here. Let's see. We still got Kuzma who can play. Who? Cal Kuzma. Who? Look up his stats. <laughs> and and we got uh Danny Green, who Danny, you know, you, you bigging up Danny Green? Yeah, as a third piece. I yeah. ain't mad at Danny Green, but come on, son. I mean, he's not Kawhi Leonard, <laughs> but he may be the piece. I mean, do you need three alpha males? Or do you, I mean, in two the, and in, a half. In work? the NBA right now, you kind of do. Kyrie say no. He just won it pretty much by itself. And the West is nasty. Yeah, that's why and Houston just. That's got why it. going through that gauntlet, if you make it through. You're going to win the chip. And if you don't make it through, you shouldn't be the champion. So I'm not scared of the West. It's what we need to get that good. Now that Lonzo is not on your team anymore, yeah. can you be honest about how ugly his jumper is? It's pretty, it's pretty uh, <laughs> funky looking. 
I'm hey, funky looking. But when it go in, it look good. When it don't, it look bad. But you know, Did you, you, can, like you having, can have a guy with a pure jump shot. If it doesn't go in, it's still whack. Did you like having them as part of the Laker circus? I did. I did like that. Uh I thought he was a great player. He just got hurt a few times. Uh, but you know, without LeBron, that team, I think, you know, starts to put it together slowly but surely. With LeBron, you know, the, the team just didn't work because they're not ready to be champions yet, and he is. You see, so that team needed three or four more years together to be ready for LeBron to take him yeah. to the promised land. So you've had massive success in music and in Hollywood. What is your superpower? What is my superpower? Yeah. Like, what do you uh, do better than, you know, most people that allow you to have massive success in multiple worlds? I mean, I outwork a lot of people. I definitely outwork a lot of people. And I'm not scared to try it. I'm not scared to try something new, even if it's outside my lane. But I do prepare. I don't just jump in. So if I'm prepared, I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just preparation, hard work, a lack of fear. A lack of fear, I think. And, um, and you know, being being the spearhead of, of a few different cool little things, you know, just being first out front. Is there something else that you want to try, another sort of industry or something else you want to conquer, a goal you have in the next few years? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's – there's things out there. You know, I, I still haven't locked in on a hard product. You know, uh, that's something I want to. You mean like a physical product yeah, you want to sell? Yeah, physical hard product. Yeah, that I want to sell. That like headphones. and masks. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's pretty much entertainment right now in sports. So so that's that, the goal? That's another. Can that's I- another thing to accomplish that can get done without disrupting any of the things I'm doing. So I'm trying to get at what is it in you that has led to so much of your success? What is the attitude that has helped you succeed um, in really hard fields? I think, I think um, you know, having an open mind and um, believing in myself and, and understanding what people want, you know, ultimately what they want. Um, and people want want somebody to rally behind and to get behind that that they feel they're safe with that won't let them down. And I, I think I'm that guy. Is your son's success changing the house in that the other kids are like, "Hey, I want some of that. I want to be in a movie. I want to make a record. I want to." Nah, you know, all our kids are pretty stable with who they are and what they do and they all got their own lanes you know uh one of my sons he's straight background he don't want to do nothing out front and you know my other son is a producer he helped me produce Strad Compton uh he's helping me with music and producing uh my daughter is uh you know she's fluent in in, in flute and piano and she knows classical and 
you know, so she can always go that route if she really want to hone in that skill. So everybody got their own steez. You know, they do what they, they, they do their own flavor. Ice Cube got the daughter rocking the flute. Yeah, my, my daughter, she, she can read music. She's, I can't play an instrument a lick, but she's <laughs> great. She actually won a junior Grammy. And so, you know, she's. They uh, know who you are. They heard all the records. They heard oh yeah. the old stories. Yeah, everything. When they were young, they was in it. They, they grown now. Straight out of Compton didn't teach them nothing. It taught them, yeah, it taught them a lot. I mean, it taught them a world that they have no idea about, right. you know? They don't have no idea about What do you think about that, 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 that their world is 180 degrees from what you and your wife came up in, and that made you who you are, gave you, you know, the spine and the strength to do what you do, and now they have an entirely different situation? I love it. It's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's, it's not about them going through what I went through. You know, my father had to go through stuff to get me to a point. And I had a nice household. And I went through stuff in the hood to to advance my kids so they don't have to, you know, go through that. You know, they – I wish I grew up not having to worry about gangbanging and, you know, stuff that was going on in the street. You know, that to me would have been, I, I would have been a lot more creative, I believe, and a lot more um, open to do different things. You know, I wouldn't be kind of hardened. You know, the hood hardens you a little, and you don't never really let that go. Thanks to Cube for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Toray Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Toray and on Instagram at Toray Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about the show. And check out my other show, Free MFA, a 15-minute podcast about writing. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garofano. Our editor is Brandon Tago, and our photographer is Chuck Marcus. We're distributed by DCP Entertainment, and we will be back next Wednesday, no doubt, with another amazing guest, because the man can't shut us down.